This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Elena Gomez, CFO of Zendesk, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 516. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Usama Malik, CFO of Immunomedics. Turn back the clock, and the CFO office was perhaps not the most likely next position for Usama Malik. But with a resume rich with strategy credentials and deep industry insights, Malik had a dogged appreciation for the science behind Immunomedics offerings a necessary prerequisite when it comes to explaining its bold vision to investors. Our discussion with Usama begins after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. and the venture fund 
uh, as well as the innovation business. And in that role, uh, I had the opportunity to execute on a number of important corporate strategies for Pfizer, including transforming their commercial business model, reorganizing their R&D business, uh, doing some major M&A work, including Wyatt, which was a $72 billion acquisition that I led, um, and uh, making a number of important investments through the venture fund in emerging technologies and companies. After Pfizer, I did some work at a hedge fund and started my own consulting firm, uh, where I continued to consult to clients in healthcare and outside of the healthcare industry on topics of growth and innovation. And that's the work that uh, ultimately brought me to Unimedics where I came in as an advisor to the new board that was put in place in early 2017. Uh, and, as, and as an advisor to the board, I worked with the board for the first six or seven months to uh, bring operational leadership to the company and start to transform a small research-focused oncology company into a global biotech that we are building today. So it sounds like you're uh, opening a new chapter for Immunomax. But tell us about this company and uh, and what are the offerings it's it's been developing and bringing to market. Yeah, so Immunomedics is a is a unique company in the sense that it's a, it's a biotech that's been around for 38 years. Uh, historically, it's been focused purely on research and early clinical development in the oncology space. Uh, as of about 10 years ago, they created a new platform technology known as antibody drug conjugates, which is a combination of small molecules and large molecules that target uh, cancer cells uh, or antigens on cancer cells to deliver chemotherapy. Uh, and it's a very unique technology and a model that the industry has historically not used. We've been very effective in demonstrating that this technology is very effective in treating uh, hard-to-treat cancers where patients generally have no other alternatives or options, um, and the existing therapies that are available to them generally don't tend to work very well, um, and so you know it results in um, you know the loss of life pretty quickly. Uh, in the last six or seven years, through investing in a number of clinical trials and generating this data, uh, we've been able to take uh, an approach to file for our first indication in metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Uh, as well as investing in a number of new indications that include broader breast cancer indications, lung cancer indications, bladder cancer indications, uh, so on and so forth. The platform really allows us to target different types of antigens on, on cancer cells. So uh, the approach is quite limitless in the, in the sense that we can continue to target additional solid tumor types as well as getting to blood cancers. Um, and it's this technology that really differentiates us and allows us to bring a differentiated therapy to patients who really need these therapies because they have no alternative options. And so we're looking forward to bringing, bringing our first product to market in triple negative breast cancer soon. Now, Usama, your path to the CFO office is what uh, we would describe as, a, as the corporate strategy path, where you were. Uh, a management consultant with Fuzhou and KPMG. And from there, uh, you join Pfizer, where you become uh, a chief strategy officer, a role that uh, clearly signals your standing in the space. Uh, but a CFO role is not uh, maybe the obvious next step. Can you reflect a little more on how you arrive uh, in the CFO office? 
Yeah, you know, so this is the, the age-old question of do you plan where you want to go or, um, you know, is it a combination of luck, serendipity, and, uh, and hard work? And, I, you know, I'm in the camp of the latter uh, in the sense that, you know, certainly your professional training and your personal ambition matters, but I think uh, over the course of one's professional career, you also make choices that come your way depending on the specific circumstance that will open up a new pathway. Uh, for your personal and professional growth. And uh, I think therein lies my story, as, as, as you know, and we just briefly discussed, I started out in the, in the management consulting space where I had the opportunity to work with uh, a number of different companies in different sectors with a lot of boards and CEOs. Uh, and that was certainly a path I could have pursued. I've been in the investment industry where I've done a lot of venture investing as well as for the hedge fund, and that's a pathway I could certainly have pursued. My interest has always been in corporate strategy, which is really fundamentally understanding industries and companies, the economics, the finance, the accounting, and the implication of making decisions that allow for growth, that allow for turnaround, that allow for transformation, and ultimately creating good products and services uh, that have a benefit for consumers or businesses. And I think that lens, that broader lens of trying to understand an industry, the competitive environment, and trying to figure out competitive advantage uh, is, I would say, what my strongest suit is. And starting from that place and moving into a financial role and leading in a financial role, I think, uh, has been a, a pretty good transition for me in the sense that, you know, when, when I started with Immunomedic specifically, I operated the company for the first seven or eight months uh, and really started to build core capability here. I also really fundamentally started to understand the underlying technology and the economic drivers of our business, but also how we were placed in the larger biotech environment and the competitive environment. And so now in the CFO role, I'm able to translate all of that and tell the story to numbers, uh, both internally and to our investors. What you shared and your unique background lets us know uh, you've got the big picture, which is what many finance executives struggle to master before they reach the CFO office. Whereas, you can correct me here, uh, but I'd imagine what you have had now to get focused on is the finance functions day to day, the, the operations, the accounting. Yeah, so, you know, I think um, I would say that as CFO, I can take sort of two lenses there and uh, allow me to try and explain both dimensions here. I think from a technical perspective, there's, you know, there's the economics of an industry, there's the financial component, and there's the accounting component that go into the role of the CFO. I think my previous training certainly gives me a lot of leeway and bandwidth to understand the economics of an industry, the competitive environment, the cost structure, the pricing, the supply and demand equations. I think from a finance perspective as an investor, you know, I certainly understand what value drivers are, uh, how do you get your free cash flow, uh, what the ROI of the project may be, et cetera. And so those are, you know, I think that's been my historic training is to be well-versed in those two components. I think the, 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 the last component, which is around accounting, the reporting, the controls, the compliance, you know, the, the stock fees, et cetera, is certainly not a place that I've historically had a lot of strength. Uh, I spent a lot of time over the last year catching up to speed there, uh, but I also have a very, very strong team uh, that helps and enables me in that aspect. I think the other dimension I was going to talk about is just generally what are the competencies for a modern CFO. And I think the, 
the ability to think strategically, and again, the economics of an industry and the microeconomics of your own company are important, so you can make good choices in terms of allocation of capital and how you get return on that capital. But I think it's equally important to be operationally savvy, to understand how your particular business works, what the cost drivers are, and how you can extract value uh, by making certain investments in your business. Um, in addition to that, obviously, savvy with investor relations and communication to the market, the ability to raise funds, um, and uh, in, my, in my case, in the chief business officer role, also identifying external opportunities, either the business development or licensing opportunities, uh, are all important components of the job. Okay. want to understand better this new chapter that a neonomedics appears to be opening. Again, third and eight-year-old company. Uh, it's clearly had some past lives. Uh, and what we want to know is, what are you up to now? What, what will this chapter be about? Yeah, so we've, uh, we've joined the company at a very exciting time, and I briefly touched upon the antibody drug conjugate platform that we have that we think is highly differentiated and allows us to, you know, move into trying to solve for or treat hard-to-treat cancers. The historic management team and the founding team of the company was very much focused on developing science and doing research, uh, and clearly they did a phenomenal job of doing that. Uh, but there was really no core competence or capability to then bring the product to patients and actually solve problems in the marketplace. And so I think in this chapter what we're doing is we've recognized that there's a phenomenal scientific platform here that we can use and leverage uh, to actually solve problems and treat disease. Uh, so that's the stage that we came in at, um, which is why you know our first mission was to file for the first indication uh, with our lead asset, which we call Salpitudinab Covitican, or ME132. It's our lead product, and we filed it in metastatic triple negative breast cancer. But we've also hyper-accelerated the development of this asset with multiple additional indications. Uh, we've transformed the company in the sense that we build a full-fledged commercial infrastructure, a medical affairs infrastructure, a clinical development infrastructure. We've significantly expanded and scaled our manufacturing capacity across the world. Uh, we've started to get into you know, significant partnerships to co-develop the products with other products, with other pharma companies, and with um, provider institutions like uh, NGH um, and other uh, big oncology centers in the country. And we recently also opened up uh, global markets. We uh, licensed our product in the greater China market uh, just uh, several weeks ago um, for the largest historic deal done on a single asset in the region. And so there's clearly you know, a lot of interest and demand for the science that we have and the implications it has in terms of solving disease. And so, um, you know, that's our focus in this chapter of the company. So what are the numbers you're paying attention to? What are the metrics that matter? Yeah, so, you know, keep in mind that we are a pre-revenue company. Um, and so, you know, we have to raise capital in order to fund uh, the operations of our business. The, the core drivers of our cost structure are a clinical development, which is a long, arduous process, um, scientific process in the pharma biotech industry where you go from early discovery to putting the product in humans and conducting controlled trials uh, to, you know, to showcase the 
that's a major cost driver. Uh, manufacturing a complex product like an antibody drug conjugate is very, very capital intensive, and so that takes quite a bit of resources. And ultimately, having a commercial infrastructure to sell the product um, is also resource intensive, although not as much as the former two may be. Um, so we're in a pre-revenue environment, and uh, you know the, the thing that counts the most for me right now is how we manage cash and how we allocate that cash to projects where we think we'll have the greatest ROI. And the story or the results that we have to communicate to our investors is really how optimally are we using our cash, how well are we managing the operations of the business, but importantly, how are we creating value through investing that cash that results in either approval of the product, uh, it results in increasing uh, the development capability that we have so we can have the product in multiple indications, or setting up the company for success in the future in vis-a-vis having a manufacturing infrastructure that can supply future demand, for example. Okay, well, I have to say you are probably the first CFO of a 38-year-old pre-revenue company we've ever had on the show. But, uh, there's clearly more of the story here. Uh, perhaps uh, you're finally making finance top of mind uh, for this organization. It's a fair question. Uh, you know, I think the founder and the previous chief scientific officer of the company was is a very well-known scientist, and he spent you know the last 30 years creating some phenomenal science here, and was able to convince investors of the marketplace that this company was capable of generating great science. I think you know the takeover of the company two years ago by a large investment firm. Uh, capitalizing on the fact that the company had fantastic science, but we ultimately had to get the product to patients in the marketplace. Um, so, you know, I can't comment on the prior 36-year history, but I can certainly comment on the last two years and how we've scaled the company significantly, not just in the U.S., but globally, and also, you know, aggressively invested in making sure that we can uh, have this product work in multiple cancer indications and importantly bring it to market as soon as we can. And I have to believe it was somewhat your appreciation of that science that led you uh, to this opportunity, why you found it attractive. Yes, absolutely. I think the, the opportunity here was the science and the, the technology platform, which almost has limitless potential in my mind, you know, as long as we can continue to demonstrate success and raise sufficient capital and ultimately get to you know, a, a point of break even or even going into the black so we can self-fund our business, uh, we can do enormous things with the technology here. The impact of the technology in you know, involving or treating heart-to-treat cancers is enormous and it's a global impact. And so certainly that element of purpose or impact is there. From a commercial or economic perspective, the, econ- the economics, uh, the opportunity is massive globally. You know, it, in a probability unadjusted way, uh, just our lead asset in the indications of the cancer tumors that we're working in, you know, can add up to you know over ten billion dollars in potential revenue in the future. Um, and the ability to you know build a company, a company from ground up and really scale it is a unique opportunity. Well, Sama, it's time uh, 
for me to ask for a finance strategic moment, and this is where your line of sight into the organization as a senior finance executive, as a finance leader, allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk. Now, this may have been earlier in your career. It may have been in your uh, management consulting chapter, uh, or it, it might have been last week. What would you share with us? Yeah, that's an interesting and complicated question. Uh, you know, as, a, as a former strategy and management consultant, we obviously use finance and tools of finance and economics to understand uh, the underlying dynamics of the industry or business. And so, you know, that's, that's been sort of part and parcel of my training. And any fundamental understanding of um, key opportunities or discrepancies in a business or risk in a business uh, fundamentally and ultimately had a financial lens or component to it. Uh, I can take, you know, recent examples of just in the medics here when we, you know, when the new board took over the company two years ago, uh, and as you've mentioned, a company that at that point was 36 years old, highly undercapitalized, you know, very local and parochial, uh, purely research-focused, and really no capabilities to scale the company or to bring the product to market. And, you know, we fundamentally had to think through how do we scale a company that was undercapitalized? How do we tell the story of the company, of the science? How do we build the capability? How do we attract capital? And ultimately start to deliver on a set of goals that we think uh, will impact patients in a positive way and importantly also be able to return on investment uh, to investors uh, in relation to other opportunities that, we, that, that they may have. Um, and, you know, that's been a period of understanding and reflection over the last two years, and we've done a number of raises since then. We did a, a very large um, royalty pharma deal uh, worth $250 million uh, in the beginning of 2018. We did another capital market raise close to $300 million in 2018. And then recently, as I mentioned, uh, we did the Everest deal in China, which has $125 million up front, $810 million in milestone payments. And, uh, very attractive royalty rates, and uh, the ability to, you know, finance and hone our story, to convince investors in the science and technology that we have here, and ultimately to lead by demonstrating progress um, has been a very important component of getting to where we are today. But fundamentally, you know, always understanding what the needs of the business are, uh, what the capital requirements are, and how we invest that capital uh, has been an important part of our Curious about uh, any learnings you might care to share regarding uh, investor relationships, and it seems that that was a you know it's a, a really important piece of your world. It has been. Anything come to mind? Yeah, certainly a number of things, but specifically in relation to raising capital, building relationships with the capital markets, whether it's with the sell side or the buy side. Um, you know, I think it's a process of developing trust, A, and B, making sure that there is a level of transparency and you're maintaining that trust with the market. Uh, that sounds easy ex post, but, you know, actually going through that process and learning that, you know, by bootstrapping is uh, pretty tough. And, you know, I wish there was a level of uh, mentorship or guidance that I could have gotten additionally, I think I had a, a significant amount, but, uh, you know, more perspectives from other seasoned 
exposed on how to manage uh, the capital markets and investors in sell side, how to raise capital, how to manage your business and communicate it and create that level of trust and transparency, uh, I think would be important. Certainly one of the key responsibilities uh, for any CFO is uh, telling the story and getting the messaging right. I, and I would imagine this is, a, this is always sort of a primary uh, focus. Would you agree or what would you? Yeah, to some extent. I think that there is a larger onus on a CFO. However, as an officer of the company, I think we all have an obligation to be very careful about public information versus private information and when that information gets communicated. And, you know, that's a, that's a lesson that every public company ought to do. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, there's got to be a unified message and communication platform from the company to its constituents and stakeholders. Uh, so while I agree that there is perhaps a larger onus on the CFO in terms of communicating with a specific audience, who in this case investors, um, I think the messaging and the structure of that messaging and the discipline around that messaging carries across the, the, the senior management team. When we come back, CFO Usama Malik enters the mentoring round. After this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're now going to move to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and advise future finance leaders. What are you excited about finance and business today? What is it that's exciting? So one thing, uh, you know, for me, uh, I try to encapsulate what I think the role of the CFO is, and I think... Um, you know, historically, maybe the framing around the CFO has been uh, around a, having a particular strong, particularly strong vector um, based on the needs of the company. So you're either an operational CFO or you're a fundraising CFO or you're a strategic CFO. I think for me, the thing that's exciting in this role, and I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping moving forward for the, you know, the bigger owners for CFOs is to sort of start to combine those capabilities where you can be a, a strategic CFO uh, while also understanding the fundamentals of the business and the operations, uh, understand the reporting requirements and the compliance requirements, uh, and having the ability to attract investors, to raise funds, and to, to be able to do deals. I think the culmination of those things in, 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 in the CFO role is a, is a pretty powerful, uh, I think, advantage. Do you have a personal habit or part of your daily routine that you think has contributed to your professional success in some way? Um, I think probably a, a few things. Um, I certainly 
um, believe in luck and serendipity. And so I think when those opportunities present yourself, the ability to be able to be adaptive and pick up those opportunities and run with them is important. Uh, beyond that, I think, you know, uh, there's a number of things in the professional setting that I can certainly talk about, but it's also important, I think, to maintain some semblance of, uh, of personal life and, and ensuring good health and good relationships with people both at work and outside of work. I think, you know, any unidimensional view of the world, I think, ultimately comes back to, to you know, have an impact on one's career or one's personal life as well. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Yeah, you know, frankly, I, I don't read many or any finance-related books. I think my interest uh, predominantly has been in nonfiction, history, politics. And then, you know, where I've spent any time reading business books has been on the innovation side, uh, has been on emerging technologies like AI, robotics, big data, uh, nanotechnology, big computing, uh, just kind of thinking both about the past in critical ways and observations that people have made around the evolution uh, of, the, of the world and where we are, but also thinking about the future and where the world may be going. And I think... Uh, well, what are you reading? No, no, I've got tons of books. I'll tell you, I'll just stick to, to business books. I think a, a formidable book for me was in the late 90s, early, early 2000s, which was Clay Christian's Innovator's Dilemma, uh, that really got me thinking about how I do my work as a management consultant and subsequently a lot of the businesses that I invested in or a lot of businesses that I participated in creating was the influence of that book and it's still a seminal book for me today. Uh, you, you fast forward that and, you know, kind of this whole movement around design thinking and lead startup was based on a book that Eric Rice wrote in the mid-2000s and you know, while these aren't recent books, I think it's these types of books that I'm more attracted to that uh, allow you to, you know, um, uh, to expand your lateral thinking. Okay, we're up to our final question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Yeah, so um, a few things. We, we, we want to get our, our drug approved in our first indication. Um, we need to continue to invest in uh, our clinical development plans that expand our opportunity in multiple uh, solid tumor types. Uh, we need to continue to scale our manufacturing so we can meet future demand, and we need to make sure that we're commercially ready uh, in order to launch the product. All of these things then require operational discipline in terms of managing our cash, but also making sure that we're getting into deals and partnerships as well as Thank you for joining us on CFO Talks. Thank you very much, Jack. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or, if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. 
Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.